about our journey. Last week we started a series called Our Journey. And we're focusing on three things. Our goal in this particular series is focused on three things. One we did last week, and that is to reconnect to our past. And that I said last week, our past determines what we're doing in the present and where we're going in the future. If you don't connect with that past, you're going to be off bearing of what you're supposed to be doing. And I, I enjoyed talking about some of the great heroes of the faith that had directly or indirectly impacted my life. You know, people like T.L. Osborne, Tommy Lee Osborne, and, you know, Healing the Sick, and who was my pastor, Dick Iverson's pastor, and that faith for healing uh, is something that's in our DNA. It makes us up, determines what we're going to become. We're believing that he's the same today as he was yesterday. Can I hear an amen on that? Come on, even Dennis Bennett and the baptism of the Holy Spirit and all that I experienced and many of you who are my age during that time, we just got touched with the Spirit of God. We, we're believing that God still wants to fill people with the Holy Ghost. Amen? Come on, and of course, Brother Dick, Dick Iverson and all that he imparted uh, into this house. I mean, he's preached here many times and to me personally and many of the people here and we carry that great heart for the church. And I, as I was preaching, you know, one of the things that just rose up in me, and I remember Dick Iverson used to say this, when he preached on the restoration of the church, he always felt an anointing come on him. And I found it to be very true last week as I talked about that God is taking us from glory to glory. He's not taking us from glory backwards. He's taking us from glory forwards. The increase of his government, there is no end, it says in Isaiah 9. When, there's, when we talk about the victorious Christ and what he's building, there's just something that comes upon you, a great faith. And I, did, did you sense it at the end of the, at the service last week? There was just a, there was just a kind of a, a, a something different in the environment that, that took place because of faith and because we recognize what he's doing. I want us to line up with what God's doing, and he started doing some of those stuff, things in, in the past. We're also going to talk today about our, our present. We're going to talk about casting vision, about what, what our vision is going to be at this time in, in, in City Harvest Church, and in this season at City Harvest Church, what is going to be our present emphasis and focus in our vision. And then next week, we're going to talk about where we're going into the future. Next week's going to be a very important historical sermon I'm going to give you about the future of this church. So I hope you, even if you're kind of sounding or feeling like I look and feel, get here anyway, because I think it's going to be such an important prophetic time for our church next Sunday. So three words are going to describe where we are presently in our present vision in this season of our church. One is the word is seeking. Everyone say seeking. Okay, we get three words down. Second is reaching. Say reaching. reaching. And the third is equipping. Okay, everybody say equipping. Equipping. All right. Okay, got it down. I want you to make sure you heard me on these three things. Because these are the three areas that we're going to focus on. These are the three areas that we're going to emphasize as a church. This is the three areas we're going to spend money on. This is the, th these are the three areas that we're going to emphasize in our church calendar. These three things. Seeking, reaching, and, and, and equipping. In the month of January, we're already making the first area our focus, and that is seeking the Lord. But if we're going to be seeking the Lord, and we're going to be seeking the Lord in this fasting time and in this up, up, up in our prayer time, we've got to have the right motivation, and we have to have the right determination to be, be able to get out of this what we're supposed to be getting out of this as we're, as we're, seeking, as we're seeking the Lord. So the, the question is this, in this, we need to ask ourselves this question. Do I want to live the life of a practical atheist? 
I was like, man, that's kind of a wild question out of the gate, Bob. I, haven't, I didn't get up this morning thinking, do I want to live the life of a practical atheist? But a lot of times we do, and we don't realize that we're actually wanting to approach life as practical atheists. I want to take you to the book of Zephaniah. Now, of course, Zephaniah wouldn't be a book that we normally turn to uh, during a sermon. I want, to, I want to take you to the book of, of Zephaniah. And I want to, before we read the verse, I want, to, I want to give you just a little background of Zephaniah so you get context on the particular verse. So don't pop that up there, Jerry, until we're ready. Zephaniah prophesied during the darkest time period of, of Judah's history. Now, I'm using the word Judah, not Israel, because by this time in Jewish history, Israel was divided into two nations, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And won't get into the history of that, but it was a divided, a divided kingdom that took place uh, after Solomon went off the scene. The northern kingdom, on the, during, if you hear the language of the prophets in the Old Testament, was called Israel. The, the, the southern kingdom was called Judah, or identified as Judah. Well, what had happened, the Assyrians had come in and taken out the northern kingdom. They were, there was never really a revival in the northern kingdom. Even prophets like Elijah got some repentance going on. But nothing was ever really permanent. But Judah seemed to have more of a, 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 righteous, a righteous line in there where they had some really, really good kings and they had some really, really bad kings. Well, for 55 years, during the time that Zephaniah prophesied, there was a horrible king by the name of Manasseh. And he led the nation of, of Judah, the southern kingdom, into horrible, horrible idolatry. He even adopted many of the, the gods of the Assyrians who had taken away the northern kingdom and scattered those gods, gods people around the world in that. And the great dispersion took place. But he was a horrible, horrible king. And, and of course, Manasseh uh, is, is grieving as a prophet, and there are a lot of pronouncements in this particular book about judgment. But you've got to look at the context of how good God had been to these people. He delivered them from Egypt. He brought them into an inheritance. He gave them cities that they hadn't built and drank from wells they never dug. They, they, they ate from vineyards that they never planted. I mean, it was a ready-made thing to bless them. He said, all you got to do is love me with all your heart, keep my commandments, and, and follow me, and you're going to be blessed above all nations. I'm going to make you the head, not the tail. He was, he was kind to them. He was gracious to them. Isn't it good we have a gracious God? But they turned that into just pursuing other gods. And uh, so now judgment comes. You know, the Bible says God gave them space to repent. He gives us space to get our act together. And now there's these pronouncements that are taking place. Now, <clears throat> there is one pronouncement before we read this scripture that I want you to bring our attention to today because many times we don't identify ourselves as idolaters. And I understand that. You're going to read a few things. Well, I don't do that, Bob. And I get it. But uh, we do need to look at what Judah did also in this. We need, do need to ask ourselves, have we become practical atheists? Let me read this verse. Zephaniah chapter 1, verse 4 through 6. I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And I'll cut off from this place. Now there's three things he's going to cut off from this place. They're serious, idolatrous type things. One, the remnant of Baal and the name of idolatrous priests along with the, with the priests. 
Now, Baal was the god of fertility, or let's look at it this way, the god of productivity, god of, of prospering. And of course, there was a lot of cult practices with this, and, and actually the priests of Israel would actually worship Baal and during these times periods and worship Jehovah. And uh, Baal was this god that would prosper you. How many people know that could, in the United States of America and the culture we live in, we could buy into a gospel of Baal? It's easy to do. Not that God doesn't want us to have money, but we can look at other things to, to advance us sometimes, and we violate our relationship with God. He goes on to say, those who bow down on the roofs to the host of the heavens. And the host of the heavens was astrology from Assyria. Obviously, they, they worshiped the stars from the roofs of their house, and so they were looking at the stars to guide them. And then lastly, and introduced Judah to the gods of, of excuse me, going on, I'm reading the wrong parts of my notes here. And going on, and those bow down the roofs of the heavens, and those who bow down and swear to the Lord, and yet swear by Milcom, or Molech. Now, Molech was a Canaanite god, and one of the things Molech required is the sacrifice of humans. And especially during this time, people were sacrificing children as living sacrifices on the altar of Molech. This is not a good time in Judah's history. And then he talks about this other part. He says, bow down, and they, they do this, they swear to the Lord, and yet swear by Molech. Those who have turned back from following the Lord, who do not seek the Lord or inquire of him. So the first three things we see is just complete idolatry. Baal, Molech, the stars in heaven. You say, well, Bob, that, that's not me. And it's not me either. The second deals with a thing called syncretism. Syncretism is when I take two opposing religions or philosophies or views of life and I try to mix the two together that don't belong together. It's called syncretism. And it says here that they swear to the Lord and yet swear by Milcom. That they did both. They brought both into this. You know, sometimes... Sometimes in the body of Christ, we embrace things that absolutely work. We, we, we love things that work. It's, it's what works. But sometimes what works is not the same as what is true. It works. We did this, and we added 2,000 people to the church. Now, I'm not trying to throw rocks at some growing church that's doing good, and God's blessing, that they're, they're growing because they, they've compromised. Well, I do have to ask the question sometimes. There are some situations where increase is the result of syncretism. And we're doing what works instead of what is true. And we're going to have to look at this thing sometimes in our own evaluation of, of what is pleasing to the Lord. But the third group, third category, they weren't necessarily idol worshipers. They just didn't do this, nor, nor seek the Lord or inquire of him. In other words, they didn't include God in their daily life. They didn't include God in their decision-making. You know, have you ever had somebody ask you this question and you got a little irritated when they asked you this question? I have. You say, well, we did this and, you know, and we bought this car. Oh, it's a great truck. I just, and did, and did, you, did, you, did you ask the Lord? Well, I didn't need to ask the Lord. It was a fantastic deal. Low interest rates, zero pain, zero interest for five years. I mean, ask the Lord. Don't be so spiritual on me. Did you ask the Lord? Did you inquire? They didn't seek God. 
nor did they inquire of him. They weren't worshiping stars or throwing their children on the statues of, of Moloch or, or, you know, praising the God of Baal while they're trying to, you know, worship Yahweh. They just, you know, just God's not a part of our life. We don't seek him, nor do we inquire of him. Have I done that? Have you done that? Have I become a practical atheist? I confess Jesus, but I live my life as if he's not involved or he wants to lead me. Now, Bob, doesn't God give us common sense? Yes, he does. And do we have to be spiritual about everything? No, no, we don't. You should be just spiritual even in your common sense. But there's places where you need God to give you wisdom. There are places where I need God to give me wisdom. You need to guide me in this. You need to help me in this. I need to make sure I got a green light from you in doing this. Of course, the opposite of this, of course, is to seek God. So let's talk. What does it mean to seek God? So we are in a time of seeking. We've separated three weeks to seek, and so we might say it's just prayer. But let's go a little deeper what seeking God is, because this is not something we're just going to do for three weeks. We want to make this part of the foundation of every individual in this church. First is this. It means to worship God in, a, in continual devotion. Jesus said to Satan, when he wanted him to worship him in his temptation, he said, Be gone, Satan, for it's written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Now, according to Jesus here, worship is, means something deeper and more thorough than kneeling and, and, and singing. Because Jesus said these words, Him only shall you serve. I love the 1828 Webster's Dictionary definition of worship. And uh, let's put that up there because I, I, I feel that it's captured the essence of it. According to Mr. Webster, to worship means to honor with extravagant love and extreme submission. You know, the, the, the interesting thing about this definition is sometimes we love to be extravagant. All of a sudden we're worshiping and someone twirls around the altar and they're twirling all over the place. So they come and they fall on their face before God in worship or they just, they give a real shout, you know, when, just to make sure that sometimes uh, I'm just so excited, I just want to shout out and, and do that. Or some people like to, you know, I've just been saving this money, but I want to give it to you. I want to do this extravagant thing. And that's beautiful if it comes from the right motive in the heart. What we don't like is the second part of this, extreme submission. Extreme submission to his will. Worship is not an act. It's a state by what you live in. You go to work tomorrow, you're worshiping. You change your baby's diapers, you're worshiping. Husbands, when you're serving your wife's needs, you're worshiping. When we're worshiping, when we're seeing that person is just hurting and you know, I'm just going to kind of separate some time just to walk alongside of that person. You're worshiping. When the Lord tells you to give up something or to do something, and I want you to start making room in your schedule to do this, and you say, yes, sir, and you, you do this, you're worshiping. It's just not being extravagant. It's being extreme in submission also. And of course, when I'm extreme in my submission, my extravagance will be sincere. Second, it means to serve God with your whole heart. I talked about this earlier in the service. Jeremiah 29, 13, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. It's a whole thing. My whole heart has to be involved in seeking God. 
in prayer and fasting and reading the word, my whole being has to be in that. But it's not just my whole being's in the praying and the fasting and the reading the Bible. My whole being's involved with what he commands me in that context. What he commands me to do. There's a story of one of the great healers in the healing ministry of the 1950s, A.A. Allen. A.A. Allen had incredible levels of miracles. And uh, God was speaking to him about entering into this particular ministry. And he shut himself in a room. And I don't know for how many days. He locked the door and he told his wife, do not allow me to come out until God has revealed himself to me. This is before his ministry even started in the area of healing. And he came out. I don't know how many days he was in that locked room. I don't know what he did with bathrooms and that stuff. I didn't read the story in that much detail. But he came out and there were 30 commands that God gave him in that prayer closet. That if you're going to do, and I'm going to trust you with the power I'm going to give you, you must obey me in these 30 areas. It was a personal commandment to him. So when we're seeking God with our whole heart, it's not, yeah, I fasted and I prayed and I, yeah, I didn't watch any, you know, I didn't watch any Stars TV or HBO or, you know, I gave up, you know, watching the NBA or whatever and I just for three weeks and it was great. You know, the issue is what did God say to you in the context and was there extreme submission to that thing that he spoke to you about in that context? So we should get something out of this where we're coming out saluting to Jesus as the Lord of our life and what he wants individually for you to be doing this year, saying to you what, what he wants to do in and through your life. The third means to pursue, to learn and obey God's commands. Psalmist said in Psalm 119, some think it's David, some think it's Ezra, we don't know. It says, with my whole heart, with my whole heart I seek you, not my partial heart, my whole heart again, let me not wander from your commandments. So it's the formula here is very, very basic. If there's no heart to know God's commands and comply to that, then there's basically no ear listening to your prayers. I remember when I was on my journey, and I call it my journey, where I was, God was getting a hold of me about committing my life to Jesus. I wasn't one of those guys who heard the gospel and just submitted on the streets and prayed the sinner's prayer. I was quite the opposite. So I spent months reading the New Testament. And at that time, I had actually gone back to the Catholic Church. And it was all part of my journey to find this Jesus, this true Jesus, and what this really meant, and whether I was going to commit my life to it. It was not an overnight decision. It was like a pearl of great price. And I remember I, they had me, because I was a local football player, they had me teach their Catholic CCD class for teenagers. It was the high school kids on Monday night, and because I was a local boy playing football, they wanted me to come in there, thought kids would come. And, and uh, I regathered this group after I had read the New Testament for about two months. And I remember telling these kids on a Saturday night in the living room of a parent who hosted this meeting, I said, guys, I've been reading the Bible, and you've got to read it. You've got to read this thing called the Bible. You've got to read the New Testament. You've got to read the words of Jesus. I mean, I mean it's open. My, my eyes are opened up. This is God's word to us. I remember one young lady, she was a junior, senior at Ellensburg High School. She was, she was an athlete, just one of those, you know, straight-A student, athlete, all-American kind of kids. And she's, she said, Bob, I, I don't want to. I said, why? Because I don't want to know what I'm responsible to. I want to seek you with my whole heart. Don't allow me to wander from your commandments. From your commandments. 
No heart to know God's commandments. No ear listening to your prayer. It means to repent then in any area of disobedience in your life. And I love how the New English translation, this commonly known scripture out of Second Chronicles, if my people who belong to me, I, this is not, he's not talking to the world, he's talking to the church, will humble themselves. Come on, that's what we're going to do. We're going to humble ourselves a little bit. Pray. I love this. Seek to please me. Seek to please me. Don't look at grace as how much I can get away with before I lose my soul. Look at grace to lead you to the place of how can I please him. With freedom, yes. But how can I please him? And I love this. And repudiate their sinful practices. That's why I chose the NET. I love the word repudiate. What a word, repudiate. It's not a word that you probably use a lot in your vocabulary. So I think it's always good to have vocabulary enrichment lessons on Sunday morning. This particular word, repudiate, means refuse to accept. It means to refuse to be associated with. It means to abandon. It means to renounce. I want to disassociate myself with sinful practices. I want to, I want to abandon sinful practices. I want to refuse to accept those things in my life. We accept a lot of things in our life. We, we like to live with low-grade lust. We like to lay, kind of half-greed. I tithe. My employees are dying because I'm not paying them anything. But man, we're taking some great vacations. Okay, well, let's talk about tithing and greed and employees and justice and this. Okay, we, we got things that we live with. We, we just kind of allow. We, we kind of let settle there. It's just kind of our bedfellow that we, we just love to just kind of live there in a low-grade fever type of way. You know, you, you don't have a 103 fever, but you're like 99.5. It's, it's just kind of there. And God wants to get you to 98.6. Lord, I want to disassociate with these things. I don't want them in my attitude. I don't want them in my thinking. Look what God said he will do. I will respond from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. It is one of my, and I want to be very careful. I want to be very, very careful because I do not believe that someone's sick because you know, because they've sinned and we put that guilt on them. But I do believe this, that one of the reasons why we're not seeing a higher level of the demonstration of the power of God is because I believe the church is living in a level of disobedience with low-grade fever on things that we just kind of tolerate in our life. There was a story of William Branham one time in a healing line, and he was getting ready to pray for this woman, and he says to this woman, the Lord will heal you if you break off this adulterous affair with this man. And, she, and the, her husband was standing behind her, and um, he said, how dare you? And he said, sir, God's going to heal you when you end your affair with your secretary. <laughs> For about 10 minutes, William Branham talked with the crowd about holiness, and when he was done, the prayer line all went back to their seat. See, we always want, we always want, man, we want the power of God like the book of Acts. Do you? Let's talk about that for a second. You also have Acts 5 in the book of Acts. Now, I remember Bill Scheidler, who was my teacher in, in uh, restoration theology at PVC. I remember, I'll never forget, Bill made this comment. He says, the problem he had with Ananias and Sapphira is that what they did wasn't that wrong. It wasn't that bad. If you think about it, they do what you and I do. 
They pretended to give more than they gave, but they gave. They were just pretending. You ever pretended in church? I love you, Lord, and I hate that person in the third row. <laughs> Come on, I want to disassociate. See, seeking is not, Lord, here's my list, and I'm asking a little bit more while I'm hungry for this list, and I want you to give it to me. No, we're seeking him. We're seeking him. So let's, let's look at this. Let's look at this. It means also this, that we're to seek God's guidance in specific situations. They did not seek the Lord or did they inquire of him. We need to seek him through all our interactions every day. Lord, I'm facing this appointment at 3 o'clock. We're having a team meeting in the boardroom. I don't know quite what to say. Should I say this or should I say that? Lord, give me wisdom. You mean even at work? Yeah, yeah just, Lord, just give me some wisdom, which I can say, because I believe we're to go this way. Watch, watch God give you something for your, for your business. Lord, I don't know what to do in this situation between these two people. Show me what to do. Show me what to say. I, 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 we need some reconciliation. God, give me some wisdom. But the, the sixth thing, and the last thing this means, it means to seek justice. I love Proverbs 28, verse 5. It says, evil men do not understand justice, but those who seek the Lord understand it completely. You know, we're asking God, Lord, what is fair and right and just in this situation? You know, if you look at Isaiah 58, which was known as the fasting chapter, where God says, is this not the fast that I have chosen? The fast that God chose in there was, would you please relate to your other human beings right? You are oppressing your workers. You're not even paying them worthy wage, and yet you're fasting to me. In other words, God is saying, the fast that I've chosen is you to act justly, and all your fasting doesn't move me at all. I'm not moved at all by the way you're treating people. In fact, here's the rule people. I treat you the way you treat people. So if you're putting them under oppression, I'm holding you back from what you want from me. Because I'm not going to respond to you if you're not responding to them as you want me to respond to you. You want justice, but you're handing out oppression. We got to be people of justice in the way we're treating our employees and other workers and people on the job and we, we got it. We got to be people of justice in our relationship with our community. That's a part of seeking the Lord. Those who, who, who seek the Lord understand justice. Well, let's talk about our second aspect of our vision. That was pretty exciting, wasn't it? It's talking about reaching people with the gospel. But who? The question is who are we reaching? We'd have, we know Acts 1-8 around here, big time, that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. And I want you to notice that not in Kyrgyzstan or Tajikistan or India, but in Jerusalem where you live. We have, I think in Clark County, I think we have broken the 500,000 barrier of people living in Clark County. And so the great question is, what is needed to reach people in our area? And I want to give you some things about 
reaching people in our area. Because we get all excited about the team going to Guatemala, and Rod and I are talking about a team going to East Africa. He's heading off to Uganda here on, on the 14th to go spy out building projects to help the move of, of the Spirit of God there in Uganda. Okay, that's all great stuff. But what about our Jerusalem? What about the people that we live around? Here's what we need. We need first, we need intentionality. What I mean by intentionality, it's not just going to happen. I have to do something. We can't, we can't just pray about it and just talk about it and just, you know, this is you know, one day, this is going to happen. It's going to require us to do something. It's going to require a thing called intentionality where I'm aggressively and strategically reaching into people's lives. The second is going to take faith. I want you to quit listening to these statistics about the decreasing church in the West. The fact is, that's true, but who cares? That doesn't mean people are hungry for God. That just means everyone who was lukewarm jumped off board. It's not like 20 years ago, you know, 50% of Americans were frothing at the mouth for Jesus. No, everyone associated themselves with churches because it was the cultural thing to do. I'm a Methodist, a Presbyterian, I'm a Lutheran. Now what we got is about 20% of people in church, they're disciples of Jesus. But the, Jesus said these words, I want you to look up for the fields are already white unto harvest. There are people out there that are looking for the reality of Jesus, the reality of the church, and you're the answer. So to quit listening to statistics, quit sitting around with coffee, the boat's sinking, Okay, the worst days are happening. Instead, have a conversation. It's time for us to arise. We got the answer. We can get, we can win. We can go after him. I'm amazed at pro football teams and in college football teams because I was a player myself. When you're down like 20 nothing, how they rally sometimes to win games. And it's just like, you know, all the odds are against them, but man, they just have this confidence. You know, we got a quarter and a half to play. We, we can win this game. 20 points down. We can do this. They don't seem to panic. They just, they start chipping at that thing, chipping at that thing. How do you eat an elephant? One bite at what? A time. And come on, we got a culture that, yes, really confused, but we're the answer. One bite at a time. We got to have faith that we can reach a harvest. I refuse to be a pessimist. I refuse to be negative. I, I refuse to be, have no hope for the future of the church and no hope for our city and no hope for our nation. I have great hope, but my hope is in the gospel. A grace approach. And what I mean by a grace approach is this. Share with people in the way God made you. Now I know that lately in, in, in wonderful ministries like Todd White and some of these other people who have just really inspired a lot of you to move in words of knowledge and step out of faith. And we've had Chris Donald here and you know, you, you take great people like Ben and Deidre and others in the church that just have really given themselves to that. And that is incredibly uh, good and, and great. But not everyone's going to have a word of knowledge for people. There is a gift that I gave this one this and this one that and this one that. There is, he divides severally as he wills. And it may not fit your personality. It's good, but it's not the only way you can reach people. And many times, you pray for people, and I've done that, and give words of knowledge to people in public, and I've done that. It's just opening their eyes. That doesn't mean they're saved. They just got a wake-up call with an encounter with God. It, it, they, they just kind of got into a God consciousness a little bit. It doesn't mean they repented. Jesus healed 
hundreds of people, maybe thousands, who didn't repent. So we still have a lot of work to do. But maybe you're a great servant. You're serving your neighbors. You're, you're, you're doing this. You get involved in people's lives and helping them, and you're just a servant. Now, one of the things I've asked Darcy to do is we're heading up outreach this year. I've asked Pastor Darcy to just get us into every area of our community. She's going to go out and shake trees here in the next quarter. She's going to meet with people. How can City Harvest Church help you, serve you? And you're going to be hearing places where you can volunteer for this, and you can volunteer for that, and you can volunteer with this, and you can volunteer with that. Well, I don't like those people, but they're people you're trying to reach, so like them. Get involved in that. I remember going to a symposium of child welfare in the state of uh, Washington. We showed up. We were the only faith-based organization there. They didn't want us there. They said, what are you doing here? Well, first, we're the church. And as the church, we thought we should be concerned about child welfare in Washington. So that's why we're here. They're so used to being without us, they don't know what to do with us. But come on, we're going to rub off on, give me a hug. Okay. <laughs> Let's do this together because we care for people. Start serving yourself into parts of people. You might be an inviter. Take Daniel Ritaku back there, our usher. Daniel's one of the best inviters we have in this church. He's always inviting people. I, I, I got so-and-so coming. He's connected. He's, he always has my friend. It's always a new friend he's describing to me. Come on, he, he, he knows how to befriend people and invite people. Okay, this is really difficult. Like Pasquale and I know each other. Pasquale, would you like to come to church with me sometime? That's it. Yeah, he's, 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 he's willing. Thank God one of my pastors is willing to come to church. <laughs> come on, some of you are more of an intellectual approach. I love apologetics. I'm writing and explain that book. It's not didactic, but this is what you got to believe. It's a conversation book to get you to talk with me on what you believe, to have a conversation. Okay, some of us are better at that approach. But find your grace and then give yourself to that. And then finally, a crossing the chicken line commitment. What's that, Bob? Let's really cross the line and ask them. Okay, eventually, you know, Bob, thank you so much. You've been helping me with my back fence. You mowed my lawn. And I just, just thank for great neighbors like you. Well, we weren't always that good of a neighbor. I'm going to tell you what changed my life. And I'd love to talk about that with you sometime. And love to do that. Okay. I remember one time, one of my neighbors, I was working on my car when we were renting a triplex, and the guy next door in the triplex came over. I was underneath my car. I forget what I was doing. I think I was putting a bolt in my oil pan or something. And he said, um, which is dangerous in itself, me even touching a tool. But uh, <laughs> he, he came and he says, Bob, what's that evangelism thing you do? Can you come over tonight? I'll tell you about it. Yeah. Came over that night, shared with them what I did, led them to Jesus. But it didn't happen overnight. I remember I took them up to the property where City Bible is, Manor House is, and, and I remember playing tennis. There was tennis courts where you see the domes there back in the day. I remember he missed the ball, and he let out this big, giant, four-letter word. It was, it was fresh. I, I felt good. I felt, <laughs> everyone heard it on the campus, you know. Just, this, is a, this is a sinner that Jesus loves, and this is what they do, and uh, this is how they talk. Sometimes Christians talk that way too when they miss the ball. 
You got to cross the line. Intentionality. So, all right, I'm reading my Bible, I'm seeking God, I'm making friends with people, serving the community. Whoo, that's a lot. You got a lot going on, but there is more. You're going to have to, you have a ministry that Jesus has for you that, yes, some of that stuff that we've talked about is, is the part of the fulfilling of that. That we got to help you fulfill. Now, question what do I need to, to do to fulfill my ministry potential? What do I need to do? Bob, I'm frustrated. I don't know what God wants me to do. What do I, how do I discover this thing? Well, the first is this. You need to recognize how God's grace is working in you. What do I mean by grace is the way God made you. You can't divorce the way God made you from what he's wanting you to do. Your, your design is created for your purpose. I knew I was able to speak publicly when I was 12 years old in my seventh grade speech class. I remember my first speech was the Philippine dog market. My dad, my dad was a World War II veteran, told me stories of the Philippine dog market and how they sold dog and ate dog. And they do it around, especially a lot of countries around the world. I've seen it in Cambodia. It's nothing to be desirable, but uh, the dog market. So I made my first speech on the dog market. All my classmates were ready to throw up and they're all getting grossed out. And I recognized that I have a gift. I have a gift. See, how's God made you? And then, of course, how does God work in and through you? You might be the best person in the world with a cup of coffee, just talking around the table with somebody, and it's just, you're like, I'm made for this when I talk with people one-on-one. Ephesians 4, 7 says this, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Come on, each one of us has a grace on us has a way that God works through you that is unique from the way he works through someone else. The second is this. This is real profound, guys. Serve who is in front of you. Well, how do I, how do I fulfill my destiny? Start with the person in front of you. It says in 1 Peter 4.10, as each has received a gift, use it. Everyone say use it. Use it. Say to your neighbor, use it. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Don't wait for some heavenly moment. Don't wait for me to call you up into my office and say, I've been really praying about you, and this is what God has said to me about you. That will happen once every two years. You'll be very frustrated. You serve with what's in front of you. Find the deed. Try to meet that need as you're moved to meet that need, and you're going to discover all sorts of gifts of the Holy Spirit. If you're not broken in your heart about human disease and physical affliction, you're probably not called to the healing ministry. I mean, you're broken. I watch people who got, want to pray for the sick who are just, I mean, they weep. You know, I've been injured so many times and through my past and even as an adult and you know, just, I'm kind of like, you know, just suck it up and tape it. Put a little antibacterial ointment on it and get back into the game. Throw a little dirt on it. And sometimes I really lack a lot of compassion. It's just, oh, bummer. I can't use my arm. Huh, you will. <laughs> I wouldn't call that a candidate for a real healing ministry. Don't wait for an invitation to fall out of heaven. 
serve with what's in front of you and you will serve your way into your development. My first youth group for five years was a powerful youth group of 10 kids. And for five years, Sue and I pastored 10 kids. We took them hiking and we took them to Seattle and, you know, and there, you know, these poor kids, some of them were on welfare and some of them came from families that, you know, didn't have any running water. It was kind of like, you know, it was, it was back in the woods kind of a thing. And that was our youth group. But I started with what was in front of me. I'm let God take care of the rest. Three, allow yourself to be stretched. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. I remind you to fan into Oh, God, you need to fan this thing. No, you fan it. God, you got to stir me. No, you stir yourself. God, you got to move me. No, you move yourself. You, Timothy, fan this thing. You, you fan it. You step out. You do something. You might be saying to me today, I, I think I want to lead something. Oh, good. That's the start. So lead, what, what you think is on your heart to lead, lead. Someone texted me yesterday and said, I think I'm supposed to lead a community group. Oh, great. This is what I want to do. Great. Now step out and do it. Step out and do it. I think I want to start a business. All right. All right. Maybe. Let's take the next steps forward and start a business. How do I know if I'm a businessman or woman? Well, try to start a business. See what case plays. Okay, well, should I? Just take a step. You feel God's leading you. I think I'm supposed to prophesy. Well, let's step out and start hearing the word of God, and let's start moving forward. I remember um, Sue. A lot of people don't realize this about Sue because you know, she tries to stay very low-key. She's a great cheerleader of others. But uh, uh, the Pastor Sue has a, a real strong prophetic mantle. I just got called this week for us to do some prophetic meetings uh, here in a, in a few weeks. She's going with me to Coeur d'Alene to do prophetic ministry. She does prophetic ministry with me all over the world. But there was a time she had no confidence in that. I remember we were in Mexico way back like 2004-ish, 5-ish, and Gerda Brown, who is now with the Lord, and... Uh, <clears throat> she, uh, she, was, she was trying to get Sue to prophesy. I was fanning on your knees to prophesy. Come on, get up there and prophesy. I can't, I can't, I can't. She's crying herself to sleep at night. I just, I just tried it. She just, it just messed her up. And so I'm thinking, Gerda, just back off. You're, you're, not, you're not producing any good fruit here. One day, we were going up to Seattle on a Sunday night to minister to a bunch of people at Wendell Smith's church. And, and uh, Sue was going to be my cheerleader, my nice little wife in the little crowd, little pom-poms. And, she said, Bob, I had a dream last night that Wendell Smith pointed his finger at me and he said, prophesy. And I patted her on the head, nice Sue, that's nice. We went up there and in this particular meeting, they divided everybody in classrooms and they left you alone with an elder and they gave you about eight people to prophesy over. So I prophesied over this person, the next thing, new suit comes up. She goes, I feel I have a word for it. Okay, honey, that's nice, nice, that's nice. And she says these words, I remember to this day. She says, you know, you're the youngest of four brothers. And no one gives you any, any um, attention or have any expectation that you're going to do anything. That God's choosing you just like he chose David. And he was. He was the youngest of four brothers. That was the case. Our daughters are sitting in the classroom going, what's gone into mom? <laughs> Next candidate. Sue gets back up. Back away, Bob. I got this. <laughs> <laughs> Pew. Pew. 
I was doing like God loves you and his hands on you. She was saying, you know, you're an engineer, but you don't want to be an engineer. This, this word of knowledge gift just kind of came out. I think, I've been working on this all my life. What, what, how is she so graced like this? Because she stepped out. She stepped out. You've got to fan this thing. And then we have to submit to training. Now we can instill gifts. We can't, we, excuse me, we can't instill gifts into people. We can polish them. You've got to have a grace operating there. But just because you have a potential doesn't mean you have the skills and the wisdom or even the character to do today what God ultimately wants you to do and you need to be trained. Remember Dick Iverson said to me at the age of 28, he says, Bob, you're a pastor. You're called to be a pastor. Settle it in your mind. You're not ready now. So basically, in so many words, just be quiet and learn. Yes, sir. You're not there. You don't have the character. You don't have the skills. You don't have the wisdom, but you will. You will. We'll train you. So how are we going to do this at City Harvest Church? I'm not going to give you the, the details of this. And I'm going to give you the philosophy from framework. But this can happen, this type of training can happen over coffee in a classroom, in a small group, through projects, reporting back. And even one of the things we're going to be doing is we're going to do a lot of training on, on Facebook Live. So maybe you can't get there, but you'll be able to take classes live where you'll be able to study at home with the group that's there. We're going to start out four things you need to understand about City Harvest Church. Four categories. The first is this. Pop that up for me, Jerry. And of course, that's a great scripture he gave some, but we're going to go on. From attending to impacting. That's called the family process. The first thing we want you to do is become part of the family. Our welcome reception. Okay, what we call our family table and sharing. Looking through our beliefs. Make sure you identify with those beliefs that you're getting yourself into. We have a process of becoming a family member in this church. I don't know when our next, um, next family uh, reception is or welcome to the family. Uh, I know our family table and sharing is on the 22nd. I think it's a Tuesday night at my, our house. Okay, we need to do that. Second is this, this. It's called the placement process. There's a, there's, a, there's a course called Finding My Place in the Family that's a community group. And there we try to help you discover your gifts and find your place where you can function as a member of this family and enter into a lot of ministry. The third is this, it's the serving process. You're taking the first two, and now you're just starting to serve. But as I said, as you serve, you might start discovering some things about you. Like, you know, I really enjoy, like, talking with people and coaching people. And I love when I got the Bible open and I'm feeding them. I, I would like to grow more. Well, that's the fourth area. The fourth area would be this, leadership growth process. And we're going to go two tiers on this. We're going to, Jeff Sosai is going to be launching some things where we're going to be coaching people who want to be involved in business, you want to do business, and we'll evolve even past that into how you can be successful in your corporate life in the world. Because what you do at work is very important to God. We want to make sure that that is, that is a sacred thing that you're looking at. But we're also, I feel like I, I want to grow in pastoral ministry, grow in influence and teaching and grow in influence and touching people. We have a pastoring 101, 102, and 103 course, three different levels that we'll give you in a brochure. But we're here to equip. It's like Dick Iverson said to me, you got a gift, you just don't have the character and the wisdom and the skill right now, but the grace is there. Help us make you into a champion to move forward. We're going to plant more churches. We are going to send out more global impact workers. We need people who will be shepherd-hearted, disciple-making people in the church. 
So we're going to seek, we're going to reach, and we're going to be equipped. Can I hear an amen? amen? Now would you stand to your feet? Worship team, would you come on up here? And I failed to make an announcement at the beginning. I'm going to shift right now as they're coming up here. And that is this. This uh, last, uh, I believe it was Tuesday morning, I could be wrong, could be Monday morning, but our, our very beloved Pastor Harry Oldenberger has been a part of us for 21 years, 20 years, uh, passed away, went to be with Jesus. We knew he was passing. He was, he was weakening and uh, got to see him before Christmas. 93 years old. How many people, men remember when he spoke at the men's huddle last time and uh, shared and I mean, just, just such a journey of faith. He's mentored more people in the area of memorization of Scripture and, and how to get closer to Jesus. He was the best encourager of, um, of uh, missionaries and, and people out in the field. Uh, just always contacted him. He had a full-on uh, kind of on-the-line, you know, internet ministry, cyber ministry of encouraging them. And uh, his memorial service is going to be Tuesday night January 15th at 7 o'clock. Tuesday, January 15th at 7 p.m. Uh, they're asking us, the family, not to wear any dark colors. That was his request. He didn't want, you know, everyone being in black and mourning. He wanted everybody to be, well, look good in black. But don't wear black. Wear pink or something like that. <laughs> he wants everybody to, why are you acting like he's still alive? He is. He wants everybody. He wants everybody to be in bright clothes and joy. And he doesn't want any heaviness. That was his request. That's what we are going to honor and celebrate an incredible life of one of, the, of God's most wonderful, wonderful saints. So 7 o'clock, March 15th. Now, Lord, we pray that we would become seekers, that we would become, Father God, not just seekers, but Lord God, that we would be reachers of people. And Lord God, that we would be equippers, not that we would just be equipped ourselves but we would be those who equip others also. That we, Lord, that we will fulfill mission, that we will please you with our heart, and that, Lord God, that we will fulfill our ministry and our call. Lord God, change us in a wonderful way.